Hello there, this is Mark Bauerline with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books Institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. Justin Shubo is with us today. He is president of the National Civic Arts Society and former chairman of the U.S. Commission of Fine Arts. He's a prominent commentator on public arts projects such as the Eisenhower Memorial on the Mall, and he's one of the leading advocates for the classical tradition. He joins us to speak on a promising piece of legislation regarding federal projects, which is uh, which is pending in Congress. He, he's going to tell us what the status of that is right now. But for now, welcome, Mr. Shubo. Thanks for having me, Mark. Tell us right off, what is the, quote, beautifying Federal Civil Architecture Act? Uh, so just to be clear, it's the Civic Architecture Act. C- civic, sorry, sorry, Civic, Civic Architecture, yes, yes. Sure. So it's uh, bicameral legislation. Um, so it's obviously pending in the House and the Senate. And it is inspired by President Trump's executive order on federal architecture that he issued at the end of his term. The, the bill in the House is uh, led by Senator, I'm sorry, by Congressman Jim Banks of Indiana, who's a rising star um, and almost definitely will be Senator um, in two years. And it is led in the Senate by Senator Marco Rubio. The legislation would do a couple things. First and foremost, it requires that federal public buildings should uplift and beautify public spaces, inspire the human spirit, ennoble the United States, command respect from the general public, and as appropriate, respect regional architectural heritage. Um, the, The preamble to the act bemoans the hegemony of modernism in federal architecture that has existed um, since at least the 1960s. It faults the General Services Administration, the agency responsible for for federal architecture, for having led us down um, an ugly and unfortunate path. So in addition to requiring that federal buildings um, meet those criteria, it says that Classical and traditional architecture, which is broadly defined, um, shall be the preferred style for federal buildings across the country. Um, Classical is is defined to include everything from neoclassical to federal to Beaux-Arts to Art Deco, and traditional includes such historic styles as Spanish Revival, Colonial Revival, uh, Romanesque Gothic, and and so on. In addition, the legislation requires that the government take into account substantial public input when making design decisions. Um, This is important because 
um, right now under the current process, there is no requirement that there be community input in these decisions. So that's a big change. Um, and last, the most uh, one of the most important things that the legislation does um, is with regard to Washington D.C., where it's at its most stringent. The um, the bills require that new federal buildings in Washington be classical in design. The 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 bills also make it much more difficult to construct um, buildings that are brutalist or deconstructivist anywhere in the country. You know, you mentioned, you know, 50, 60 years of ugly architecture and the dominance of that. Were there any specific monstrosities, maybe in the last, I mean, we, we know some of those, that Boston Civic Center, some, some of the more renowned ones that are older, any recent in the last 10 years monstrosities, Justin, that might have given some impetus to President Trump's executive order or this legislation? Well, the current design system at GSA began in 1994. And among some of the more recent buildings, I would say the worst of the worst is the San Francisco Federal Building. Um, now, of course, it's not ideal to talk about architecture on a podcast without photographs. Yeah. But you have to imagine some kind of terrifying alien spacecrafts covered in wire and weird windows that looks like it's about to shoot laser beams at you. Um, the building has been described as being one of the most reviled in the city. And um, it's just really a terrible, terrible design by a subversive architect by the name of Tom Main. Another terrible building is the Salt Lake City Federal Courthouse, which um, many people in, in the city have described as looking like a board cube. <laughs> you know, this is, then this is the question, and I think it relates to the, I, uh, the stipulation of public comment, public feedback. And here's the question, Justin, how did certain schools of architecture which are pretty unpopular with most Americans, especially those who have to work in, in these buildings, who live in there day after day over time. How did this become dominant in public design? Um, well, it's a long story. You talk about the birth and um, ultimate, ultimate dominance of modern architecture. Um, it did begin after World War I in Europe, um, among architects who were demoralized by the war and thought that European civilization had self-destructed. And essentially, they were trying to create a new social order um, that would better fit a technological society. Um, they were revolutionaries, whether socialist on the left or fascist on the right. Um, ultimately, those design ideas emig literally emigrated to America um, the architects came to um, important design schools. Um, and in the 1960s, um, a young Daniel Patrick Moynihan, then a, a staffer at the Labor Department, he in inserted a single page into a government offer support on, um, uh, I'm sorry, a government report on federal office space 
and he called them guiding principles for federal architecture. And it is those principles that led to the hegemony of modernism. Moynihan so, liked modernism? Well, when he was young, um, he ultimately came around to being a devotee of classical architecture. Um, but yes, in 1962, and he would later say that um, when he wrote these principles, the intent was to essentially um, build government buildings like the modernist Seagram building um, in New York. So those, those principles do did a, a, a did and do a couple of things. One is they explicitly said there could be no official government style, which was essentially saying there can be no classical architecture. I mean, classical architecture, as many people know, um, you know, was chosen by the George Washington, Thomas Jefferson for the core buildings of government in Washington. They wished to hearken back to democratic Rome um, and, uh, and Athens. And they thought that the classical style was time honored and timeless. And they set the trend in federal architecture, which lasted 150 years. Um, you know, we have built we have buildings like the Supreme Court that were built in the modern era in the 1930s and 1940s. Um, the trend that the founder started lasted for a long time. But then we get these 1962 principles. They ban classicism, even though in 1901 um, the Treasury Department, which is at the time was responsible for all federal buildings explicitly codified existing practice by saying classicism was official. The 1962 principles also said that design should embody the finest quote-unquote contemporary American architectural thought. That was code for modernism, hmm. as Moynihan would lay, uh, later describe. And the principles also said that design must flow from the architectural profession to the government and not vice versa. In other words, it was an abdication of responsibility to private architects. Um, it's as, you know, the, the client was telling the contractor, you tell us what we should be doing. Hmm. And since um, at that time and from the time since, the architectural establishment has been almost entirely modernist, um, the government has deferred to those modernist architects and we've gotten modernist buildings. I've read, uh, uh, there have been a couple of articles on this legislation, one of them in Bloomberg and, and one in, in, in Politico. You, you were interviewed in the Bloomberg article. It, it notes a watchdog report has been issued by the GAO, the Government Accountability Office, that actually criticized the way the government has selected architects and engineers. What were those specific criticisms? Well, it's a coincidence that the GAO report came out um, after this uh, legislation was introduced. Um, the report was requested by the chairman of the House um, Committee that oversees transportation and infrastructure, and it was in response to Trump's executive order on federal architecture. That's what instigated it. The report found, and I should say parenthetically, that GAO is widely respected as a nonpartisan agency of government. Um, the report found um, that the Design Excellence Program, the current program at GSA, does not require that there be any 
public input when design decisions are being made. Um, and it says that such input is often not, into taken, not taken into consideration by architects at all. Um, the report also said that by failing to take into account public input, there can be delays in the process and I'd add implicitly costs. And they pointed to an example of a new um, courthouse in Savannah, Georgia, where community opposition to the, you know, was, was very strong after the design was chosen. It really held up the project. Um, the report also said very interestingly that taking public input into account could conflict with the guiding principles requirement that design must flow from the architectural profession to the government and not vice versa. My response is that that is another reason for rejecting that requirement. Um, and uh, the report also states that by giving communities an opportunity to provide input, GSA could help allay concerns that the federal government is constructing buildings that are unpopular. So they were saying that what the executive order was suggesting that a lot of these design decisions are unpopular, there might be some truth to that. Um, and ultimately, the report recommends that GSA needs to update the design excellence process to inc include requirements for obtaining and considering community input on building design. So that this, to me, is a huge victory for proponents of Trump's executive order. Yeah. And at the, also, um, the report ends in, a, in an appendix. There's a letter from the head of GSA stating that GSA agrees with the report's findings and will develop a plan to address it. So thus, GSA was is agreeing to make these changes. Um, now, the fact that GSA made this, you know, admission or agreed to do it doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to be done right. It doesn't obviate the need for legislation. And the legislation that's pending um, will ensure that public input is taken into account in the right way. Were you at all part of President Trump's decision to issue this executive order? Were you consulted? I, um, I mean, I, 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 I can say that Yes, um, you know, my organization and I um, were consulted in, in the drafting of the executive order. Uh, any sense of where President Biden stands on this issue or not on his radar at all? Well, very soon after Biden took office, he rescinded Trump's executive order. I think it was huh. in just a couple of days after he took office, as if he had nothing better to do. And I think he did that due to intense pressure from the architectural establishment, um, which had been vehemently opposed to the order. And that establishment is led by the American Institute of Architects, the main trade organization for the profession. Um, so yes, Biden rescinded the order. And then um, I, at the, um, I was, as you mentioned at the beginning, chairman of the US Commission of Fine Arts, which is the aesthetic review board for Washington, DC. And um, although that commission had been almost entirely modernist since World War II, under President Trump, it um, was stacked with supporters of classical and traditional design. So it represented a sea change in direction. 
and um, nothing was untoward. Th those appointments were made after the pro the prior appointees' terms ended as they rolled off. These are not political appointments. You're appointed to a four-year term. It's not meant to change with the change of administration. Um, that all being said, um, a few months into his term, President Biden removed me and three other commissioners from the commission in violation of the law and 110 years of precedent in which no president had ever removed um, a commissioner, let alone the commission's chairman. And the White House um, told the New York Times that, and, and Bloomberg, that the reason the president did this was because our strong support for classical architecture did not comport with the president's values. Okay. They play hardball, those, those Democrats. Uh, are, are, do you think as this bill uh, moves forward and the floor, are, are Democrats going to line up against it? Well, I would like to think that there will be bipartisan support since this is not a controversial issue uh, for for ordinary Americans, right? Um, my organization did a did a survey by the Harris Poll of Americans' preferences in federal architecture, two thousand American adults, and the survey found that seventy two percent of the people surveyed preferred traditional design for such buildings, and there were widespread majorities across all demographic groups, whether it's socioeconomic, gender, race and political party affiliation. Hmm. Um, I mean, I think it was 72% or 73% of Republicans and 70% of Democrats supporting tradition. So it's truly a bipartisan issue. However, among certain elites, um, you know, they, they see this as some kind of culture war and wish to, to stop it. I mean, the New York Times published an editorial about Trump's executive order titled, What's So Great About Fake Roman Temples? <laughs> um, I mean, the implication being that the the Capitol building itself is a fake Roman temple, because of course it's not yeah, 2,000 years when, old. The Lincoln Memorial? You, you want to say to that New York Times editorialist, do you know, look, watch how people behave when they climb the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and they step inside that temple. They actually become quite reverent. It's quiet in there. Do you think, do you think that would work if it was just a fake, you know, a, 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 piece, of, a piece of plaster, you know, modeled on, modeled on the past? That's a, that's a great point. I mean, I like to point out that after the January 6th attack on the Capitol, Chuck Schumer and other Democrats said this was um, desecration of a temple to democracy. Well, the fact that they're using the word temple shows that they understand that it is based on ancient temple architecture. Huh. And the fact that they use the term desecration shows that they think there's something sacred about the building. Yeah. If the Capitol building had been brutalist, no one would have said you could, you could desecrate it. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing sacred about brutalist buildings. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you are looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. 
Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy, all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. Do you think if it passed at the federal level that it would trickle down to state level? Legislation? Um, I think I think that's quite possible. I mean, there are, you know, states throughout the country are building public buildings, courthouses and other such buildings. And yes, they might very well take the lead from the federal government. Um, I think it will be, you know, if the legislation passes and there are more classical and traditional federal buildings, we'll see how this tradition is alive and flourishing and how we can still build great buildings today. I would point to one of the rare exceptions of a recent classical federal building, which is the Tuscaloosa Federal Building and Courthouse in Alabama. It's a magnificent Greek revival design. Um, The only reason it exists is because um, Senator Shelby of Alabama was chairman of the House of, you know, I'm sorry, of the Appropriations Committee and was thus able to force GSA to give him what he wanted. Hmm. Um, That's why that counterexample exists. But people can look at it and it's been um, very popular with the public. It's been popular with courthouse workers and the judges. And if we can do it there, we can do it around the country. Is there any indication in the schools of architecture, among the academic theorists, and the the more elite architectural critics that any any sense that they are listening to people to so many people who find their work unpopular any 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 self questioning going on in those circles um among the architectural establishment i think there continues to be complete disdain for the preferences of the public. Architects are designing for themselves and for other architects. Um, They know that their designs are very often disliked by the public, but I think they just simply reject, reject those concerns. There's a design disconnect between what architects want and what the public wants. Yeah. Do, do do you think though that in in the broader society traditionalists may have the momentum? You mean within architecture? No, 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 in the, in the broader society with things like this this legislation is that a sign that the issue is coming into people's minds? Ordinary people, voters well, and, and that we're getting a response. Well, I mean, Trump's executive order was extremely well received uh, among the conservative press. And um, when I was removed from the Fine Arts Commission, along with other commissioners, the Wall Street Journal published an editorial titled Biden's Culture War Architecture. So there is definite attention being paid to this issue in a way that there hasn't been 
for decades and decades. Um, so yes, yeah, supporters of tradition are awakening to the importance of architecture for the body politic. Yeah. How do you think mid-century modernism will go down in history? You know, seven, I mean, they don't age well. You know, that, that's one of the problems. The, the Lincoln Memorial ages well. Uh, buildings like, you know, in Atlanta, I would go to the public library in downtown Atlanta. I don't know if you know this building. It's a Marcel Breuer. It's a brutalist building. It's a library. And, and Justin, it, it, is, it is the most sterile, uncomfortable, unwarm place, but it's also, it's kind of moldy. It, it's, it's not, it's, it, it's kind of crumbling uh, a little bit, but it hasn't aged well at all. Those Carnegie libraries, you know, 100 years old, plus those have aged very well. 50 years from now, how do you think mid, mid-century modern, that history will be, will be written? Well, I think that history um, will describe that era as being, you know, perhaps the lowest point in the history of architecture. Um, this is when you get brutalism, which its own supporters describe as an anti-aesthetic. They'll say it's an ethic, not an aesthetic. And some of them will even admit that the buildings are ugly. Um, they replaced um, the, the, the aesthetic values of architecture with other, other extraneous values. And as you said, those buildings have been aging very badly. I mean, FBI headquarters, which was completed in the 70s, is falling apart and has to be replaced. Horrible um, building. I worked at the Arts Endowment in the, in the old post office building. I'd walk by that FBI building, and you just, it just gave you kind of a creepy feeling, an icky feeling when you would walk by it. Yeah, I call it the Ministry of Fear. Um, But also preservationists have talked about the life cycle of modernist buildings from that era as being much shorter than that of traditionally constructed buildings. They're falling apart. They're more expensive to maintain. Like you said, they are not aging badly. Um, Even GSA's own history of its mid-century buildings talks, uh, says that both contemporary and um, past uh, opinion on the buildings has been largely negative. Even they know that they have not worked um, aesthetically. Well, last question, uh, Justin. You know, you might have seen the unveiling of that Martin Luther King monumental statue in Boston, what, six weeks ago or so. It, it, It is, it's another monstrosity. I mean, it was roundly mocked and criticized and by, by, by so many people. Any chance that this initiative for classical architecture might carry over into monumental sculpture, statuary in public places? Um, it's certainly possible that this emphasis on architecture could lead to interest in public art as well. There is a ray of hope in that the forthcoming artwork for the National World War I Memorial in Washington is going to be a superb classical design by the sculptor Sabin Howard. 
Um, it's enormous, maybe 60 feet long by eight feet high. Um, it's called the, the, the weight of sacrifice. And it tells the story of a soldier leaving home, going into the crucible battle and returning to, um, the United States. It will show that our public art can take a different direction from the one that we've been going. And yes, if architecture, um, is making the news, if it's on the radar screen, um, art, art could do so as well. All right. Well, we, we'll, 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 we'll see. We'll follow this uh, legislation. Meanwhile, Justin Shubo, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.